0: Welcome back to the searches for Anna Walsh. I'm your host, Colton Bradford. Brian Walsh is probably best known as the man accused of murdering his wife, Anna, making incriminating Google searches and lying to investigators for days. But today we're going to dive into an earlier criminal case that he was tangled up in, and it goes back over a decade. He pleaded guilty to orchestrating a sophisticated art fraud scheme involving Andy Warhol paintings that Brian stole from a friend in a plot that federal prosecutors said cost victims hundreds of thousands of dollars and tore apart relationships. Our Matt Fortin was in court on February 20th when a sentence was handed down in this case. A federal judge ordered Walsh to spend 37 months behind bars. Matt's gonna tell us what happened that day and it's all about the case.
1: This art fraud case played out in a very different place from where we'll see Brian Walsh's murder trial. Moakley Courthouse is federal court. It's in a big brick building in the Seaport District by Boston Harbor, steps from the site of the Boston Tea Party. There's no recording of any kind allowed inside. Actually, it's notoriously hard to even get cell service inside. So there's no video, no audio, no photos from inside the February 20th sentencing hearing for Brian Walsh. The only visual medium that's allowed is sketches sketch artists will usually go to big cases like this one and sell copies of their sketches to outlets like ours you can see actually one from that day on our website but before i paint you a picture of what it was like in court for walsh's sentencing where both sides were very clear this case is not about the murder allegations let's go through what prosecutors established happened here The story of the Andy Warhol fraud begins in 2011, a few years after Brian and Anna met, four years before they married. That year, Brian traveled to South Korea to visit a friend he'd met at college, Carnegie Mellon, their freshman year. We don't know this friend's name. It was redacted in court documents. But prosecutors said that Brian told the friend and their family on this trip that he could sell some valuable art they had on their behalf. They agreed, so Brian left with three paintings by Andy Warhol and two prints by another major pop artist, Keith Haring, as well as a small Chinese statue. Two of the Warhols were from a series he did called Shadows, abstract paintings depicting the same shadow of a cleaver in different colors. The family had bought these shadow paintings for $240,000. The third Warhol work was from his Dollar Signs series. Brian wrote about the scheme in his diary, which the FBI obtained in its investigation. Here's producer Asher Klein reading from those entries. Just keep in mind that prosecutors redacted the victim's name, so we're referring to them as the victim.
2: From March 29th, 2011, I will make this deal work. They have stuff that is good. The victim and his family are all about themselves. Makes it easy for me to do them up. Whatever. March 31st, 2011. I have a plan for the art. Need to get off with some of the good pieces. Hope I can make it through. This one is going to be bumpy. April 5th, 2011. Being in Korea is making me crazy. I could have done something fun. If I don't make dollar sign or this deal, I will be pissed. Need to sell the shadows. I will take all the dollar sign, then only a taste of everything else. Let the victim deal with the rest of it. We'll be right back.
1: Brian got the art from his friend and the friend's family, he started offloading it through a years-long, sophisticated art fraud scheme. Through Christie's Auction House in New York, Brian sold the dollar sign piece for $40,000, but selling the Shadows paintings there didn't work. Brian also attempted to sell the herring prints through Christie's, with no luck, apparently leaving him in a financial jam. According to his diary, Brian also stole a high-end watch from his friend and attempted
2: to sell it for $20,000. February 9, 2012. Sold watch for $12,000. If the deal doesn't go through, I will have to take $8,000. Need to contact the victim about art ASAP. June twenty eighth, 2012. Tough day. The victim wanted his art back. July 9, 2012. I have spent a fortune. In major trouble. Need to sell the herring. Meanwhile, Brian's friend
1: tried desperately to reach him to get the art back, and eventually Brian surrendered the herring prints and the statuette to the friend, but not the Warhols. In fact, he never told the friend he'd sold the dollar sign print to Christie's. Separately, Brian had commissioned a set of fake shadows paintings from a forger in New York, and in September of 2015, Brian entered into a contract with a French art consultant agreeing to sell the paintings, which he was passing off as real, for $145,000. He flew to France to make the deal, and after making off with the money, prosecutors wrote his credit card receipts show that he and his wife went shopping at Prada. By the next year, 2016, Brian already had another set of paintings made by another forger. He listed them on eBay for $100,000. The listing was complete with photos of authentication papers and a claim that the works were from Brian's private collection. An art dealer in California who specializes in Warhols contacted Brian about the listing, offering $80,000. But after an assistant went to Boston to retrieve the paintings, paying with a cashier's check, the dealer quickly found they didn't have the official stamp that authenticates them as originals. Meanwhile, Brian cashed that check and used most of it to pay off credit card debt. After several attempts at contacting Brian, some of which even included Anna and Brian's mother, the dealer was able to reach Brian, and Brian agreed to refund the $80,000. After much stalling, Brian did send two wire transfers totaling $30,000, then completely cut contact with him. Our sister station in Washington, DC, WRC, was able to get in touch with the dealer who's named Ron Rivlin. Here's what he had to say to them last year about Brian and his scheme during the interview.
3: Well, he was just very, uh, he was a calculated um, guy. He was very crafty in, in his, um, you know, con uh, in which I was uh, a victim of. Um, I, you know, sold, uh, I bought over a thousand Andy Warhols and he was the one person that got one by me and um the way he did it was you know borderline genius um but it was also a you know a classic bait and switch um uh, but uh i see him as a very kind of calculated guy i felt like he had no um, sense of accountability compassion empathy towards myself and the other victims and, you know, in the process of um, investigating who he was from art and the civil side and, you know, I guess the FBI on their side, um, you know, there, there were some patterns. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, like, for everyone involved.
1: For the French art consultant who was fooled by Walsh, the damage extended beyond his bank account. According to prosecutors, he persuaded his father to use his life savings to purchase the shadow paintings as a retirement investment vehicle. When the fraud was revealed, the father had to postpone his retirement another 10 years. And while the art consultant was working to repay his father, they became estranged. Finally, the friend Walsh originally took the paintings from in South Korea. Prosecutors said that Walsh never told him he sold the dollar sign painting and never revealed where the two shadow paintings are. As prosecutors put it, Walsh proved so successful in fact that the FBI has not yet recovered the artwork despite an investigation of several years in the defendant's guilty pleas. They noted the FBI was still working to find the paintings. After this break, we'll get to the end of the art fraud saga. Back to the sentencing on February 20th. I was in courtroom 18 when Brian Walsh was walked in handcuffs by U.S. Marshals. He was dressed in a dark suit. His hair was neatly cut. He sat with his attorney, Tracy Miner, opposite from federal prosecutors in front of where Judge William Young would take his seat. Honestly, he seemed to be in pretty good spirits. He even appeared to smile or even laugh a little with Miner. He looked back briefly at all the reporters and other observers who were watching the hearing. The hearing lasted about 45 minutes. Most of it was spent discussing whether the severity of Walsh's sentence should be ratcheted up two levels for obstruction of justice, which the federal prosecutors were pushing for. They said he lied after pleading guilty that he hadn't disclosed money he got from his late father's estate in financial forms for his probation office. The prosecutors also argued prison time was important to deter others from engaging in art fraud, a crime they described as fairly simple to execute, hard to catch, and often involves a lot of money. Walsh's lawyer, meanwhile, was asking Judge Young to stick with the sentence that the previous judge on the case had indicated back in October of 2021 that he was planning to impose three years of supervised release. The defense argued that he simply received the funds from his late father's estate as a representative and they were not his to spend therefore he was not obligated to disclose them the judge sided with prosecutors that day and he sentenced walsh to 37 months in prison he also ordered that he pay a restitution of four hundred and seventy five thousand dollars his lawyer said he's already paid nearly a hundred thousand dollars of that i want to add that near the start of this hearing Prosecutors emphasized this case was not about the murder charge he faces in state court. His alleged murder of Anna does come up in some of these court filings though. Walsh's defense said that his arrest in that case prevented him from filing financial documents about his father's estate that the court had ordered. Walsh didn't say much during this hearing. Right before the sentencing, Judge Young gave him the chance to address the court and Walsh said that he appreciated the opportunity but he had nothing to add and thanked the judge. When it was all over, Walsh was returned to state custody. After the hearing ended, people in the courtroom dispersed, including Walsh's lawyer and his mother, who was sitting in and watching the hearing. Outside the courthouse, I was among the reporters waiting to see if either one would comment on the sentencing, but the women didn't have anything to say as they walked to a car waiting in front of the courthouse. Here's what it was like outside. Us.
0: Any reaction to today's sentencing?
1: Are you
2: standing by your son, Mrs. Walsh? Mrs. Walsh, what was your reaction to the sentencing? How haven't seen him in a while. That
1: was it for Brian Walsh in federal court, but he's due before a judge again March 4th, back in state court in the murder case.
0: Coming up on episode three of The Searches for Anna Walsh, we're diving into everything we know about the now infamous man accused of murdering his wife, the family drama we've uncovered involving his late father's estate, why people describe him as manipulative, a sociopath, physically violent, even evil. If you want to follow The Walsh Case with us, subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts and leave a review to help others find the show too. This episode was produced by Matt Fortin, Julia Yowie, Executive produced by Asher Klein and Mark Fortier. I'm Colton Bradford.